Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the 16th chapter of Acts as we return this morning to our study through this book. Uh, we're studying through Acts, uh, the, the book of Acts, and we have arrived at chapter 16. And what we have here, if you'll remember, is a mini series of sorts. This Acts 16 has a theme that runs throughout, and the theme of this chapter is the power of the gospel. Last time we saw Lydia, the conversion of Lydia, we saw how the Lord opened her heart as we considered the gospel power over the disposition of the human heart. Now today we will continue as we study through this chapter and we'll meet a slave girl the sermon today is titled Gospel Power Over the Demonic. Gospel Power Over the Demonic. Today we come to a passage that addresses matters of demonic activity. Divination, soothsaying, fortune telling, things like this are common. They are not common in our world and they are commonly seen uh, when we do come across those things as the work of a con artist or mental sleight of hand, if you will. And often that is a reasonable, if not accurate, description of what takes place. But there are times when something more than conning, something more than mental sleight of hand is at play. More than a trick more than a display of manipulation, more than just someone's ability to read people. Sometimes divination and these sorts of things is actually the work of a demon spirit. And this is the case in Acts chapter 16. Now in this day, in our day and age, in our country, we seem to see relatively little that is directly the work of demons. Now, for almost everything that I will say today, you will find someone that will say the opposite. There are those who will see demons behind everything that takes place. Everything is the work of demons. But I believe that what we see in our country, very little is the direct work of demonic activity. Perhaps this is because the gospel has been so prevalent in our country as to curtail demonic activity. Some have suggested that that is the reason. Uh, or perhaps it's the opposite. Perhaps it is because in our day and age, there are so many who willingly surrender themselves to sin and willingly surrender themselves to the service of Satan, that there is no need for such extreme measures as we read about in the New Testament. But in Paul's day, this sort of thing, divination, soothsaying, fortune telling, this was more commonplace. And it is incumbent upon us to remember today in 2021, that Satan is our adversary. He is our enemy. And he roams to and fro like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He does not present himself to you as a lion seeking to devour you. He presents himself to you as an angel of light. He presents himself to you as friend. When in reality, he is foe. Today, as we consider gospel power over the demonic realm, let us not think that demons and demonic activity is just a thing of a bygone era. Let us remember that Satan is still seeking to kill and to destroy. So as we read today from this text, let us not read this like it's a fairy tale. Satan's power is unchanged. His murderous intent and his dishonest methods 
are still employed against us today. Well, I'm glad that's not the end. I'm glad there's more. We must remember that just as Satan is still active and still has power, we remember that the power of Christ in the gospel has in no measure been reduced. Gospel power over the demonic was real in Philippi, as we will read almost 2,000 years ago. And gospel power over the demonic realm is still real today. Before we read, let us ask God's blessing on our time in this text. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, King of all kings, and ruler over all things that you have made, we come before you humbly asking your aid. We pray that you would work in our hearts this morning to make us good listeners, to draw our attention to your word and your spirit. God, make us today hearers as well as doers. We ask that you would work through your word and your spirit to convict, to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of the coming judgment. Edify your church, sanctify your saints, that we may be conformed to the image of our dear Savior. We pray, we pray God that you would be merciful even this morning to save a lost soul. Bless now the preaching of the word of Christ. Hide this preacher behind the cross. In Jesus' name we ask Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. Hear the word of God. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. I mean, this is not the sermon. Let's just pause here and say, I appreciate that. <laughs> Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, he's speaking to the demon, not to the girl. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrate, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which... It is not lawful for us to keep or to observe being Romans. Verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command, uh, he threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, if you remember last time we met Lydia, today we meet this damsel, this girl. And firstly, I would like for us to note the contrast between these two women. You remember Lydia? Remember, she was what we might call in control. She had her life together. Lydia was a lady in control of things. She was a businesswoman who had moved to Europe from her home in Asia. And we read nothing in Lydia's story about a husband who might have been controlling her life or running things. Lydia seemed to be running things. 
There's no business partner mentioned. There's no one else who would be in control of anything except Lydia herself. Some believe that Lydia ran a sort of a boarding house to take in young women who needed that sort of help. And by the way, when we read of Lydia being baptized with her household, that is what is believed to be referred to there, that she's run some sort of a boarding house. But that, that describes Lydia, a woman in control of stuff. She's got it together. And now in this text, we meet this damsel. Your Bible may say girl, or may say woman. King James uses the term damsel. And that's a good word. It means young, unmarried woman. But it's more than an age distinction that is made here between these two. Lydia, as the point I've tried to make, she seems to be in so much control of her life. And this young girl is in control of nothing. This girl is described as a slave. She's a slave. And we're told that she has masters, plural, more than one. I'm sure that it's hard for us to enter into and, and imagine the feelings of helplessness, the loss of control that, that must be felt by any slave. But to compound being a slave and being out of control in so many things, to have multiple men ruling over you as a master. That must be so horrible. You must have this unbearable life in which you feel, it feels like you control nothing. Everything is out of control. But this is just the beginning of the out of control nature of this slave girl's life. We're also informed not only is she a slave and she has masters, but that she has a spirit of divination. Because being a slave, this girl had no control over the externals of her life. And now we find that she is demon possessed. So she has no control over her own heart and mind over her own lips and what comes out of her mouth. Even those things spoken by her were not of her free choice. She is in bondage in every way. This girl is enslaved. This, this plight of this girl is a reminder for us this morning. It is a reminder of the bondage of every person born to Adam's race. If you're not familiar with that term, born to Adam's race, let me tell you who I'm talking about. You. Every one of us are born in the lineage of Adam and every one of us born in Adam's race are born in bondage. Now friend, you may sit here today and you may think you're in control of something. You may think you have it together on some level. You may think you have a handle on things, but the truth is that every one, every person who is not a bond servant of Jesus Christ remains enslaved to sin and Satan. This girl's plight may seem more evident. She was a slave and she was demon possessed. Your bondage may not seem as evident to you or you may like living in the delusion that you are not in bondage, but without Jesus Christ, you are enslaved. Without Jesus Christ, you are in bondage. Christians, we need to pay attention here. We see some external contrasts between Lydia and this slave girl. But as we consider the soul of each of these women before they came to Christ, without Jesus Christ, we find that they are much the same. 
Perhaps you don't see that. Perhaps you think this demon slave girl needs salvation more than Lydia. Do you think that Lydia's lostness was somehow less hopeless? Was Lydia's sin somehow less offensive to the holiness of God? Was Lydia in a better position than this demon-possessed slave girl? We had better not think that Lydia was one bit closer to God than this girl. Some of you may think that you are closer, that God can appreciate you better, not recognizing that you are a sinner bound for heaven. That's the case here. Both Lydia and this slave girl are lost. Both of them are bound for hell. They both were, praise God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, saved by his life and death and resurrection. And it took no less grace to save Lydia than it did to save this demonic slave. The good news for both these women was that the grace of God is sufficient to save sinners. To save both of them. And not just barely enough, barely, but completely sufficient. And that's still the case today. The blood of Jesus Christ has not in 2,000 years lost any power. Gospel power to save sinners is still sufficient. Gospel power to forgive sin, to clothe us in the righteousness of Christ for the one who believes on him. God saved Lydia and God saved this slave girl and God is still saving sinners. And he will save all who come to him in repentant faith. Believing on Jesus' life and death for salvation. So we see contrasts and comparisons between these two women. In the second place, we notice in this slave girl in our text for today, we notice the spirit of divination and the prophet that was brought to her masters because of it. The term here. Translated in your Bible, spirit of divination or spirit of soothsaying is literally, and if you look in your margin, you may find this somewhere in your Bible, the spirit of python. This girl is referred to in some places as a pythoness, the spirit of a snake. It's a reference to the false gods and mythology of this culture in which they lived there in Philippi. They believed that Apollos, a god, little g, a false god, they believed that Apollos had defeated the python which guarded the oracle at Delphi. And they believed that that python, now having been slain, could enter into a person and give them powers like this girl had. That's what they believed to be going on with this girl. Certainly, this python spirit is the local explanation and reasoning that would have been accepted there at Philippi. But Luke does not refer to her having the spirit of python so that we would believe this spirit of python is a thing. Luke doesn't refer to this so that we would look into this Apollos uh, myth and believe that to be true. Certainly, these things are not. But what we see here is that there is a demon empowering the false belief, empowering the lies behind this mythology. 
There are those who worship the one true and living God through Jesus Christ. And there are those who believe something else. All those who believe something else in back of it is demonic power. That's what was happening here. They believed this thing about the spirit of Python, but it was demonic power. And we're told in verse 16, because of the demonic activity in this girl, that she was very profitable for her masters. This was not just a trick. This was not just a con artist work. Demons, evil spirits, the devil's fallen angels, they are able to move in and out of private places without being detected. They could be privy to private conversations and they could be witnesses to the private actions of a person. And then they could take that knowledge and bring it to the lips of this girl so that it seemed as though she knew all things because she knew some things that no one else could know. And it was all demonic power. And the people believed this girl to have a special power from the god Apollos and this python that he killed, but it was Satan's power. It was demonic power. And we would, we would err, we would be wrong to think this morning that Satan and his demons have no power. But we would also err, we would also be wrong to think that Satan and the demonic powers are all powerful. They have power. They have knowledge. They have presence, but only the one true and living God is all powerful, has all knowledge and is everywhere present. So we see this demon possession that is a spirit of divination. Let's look thirdly at what the demonic spirit in this girl is saying. Look at verse 17. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, so hear what she's saying. These men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Your Bible probably says something very similar to that. Some have looked at this and wondered, what's the problem? What's the problem? In our Bibles, it sure looks like this crying out was a crying out with truth. We, we might even think, couldn't this have been some street level marketing? Couldn't this have been promotion of the preachers? That may seem to be at first glance what this is, but I hope to show two things in this. First, that it is a grave error to allow demons to promote the preaching of the gospel. Amen. It is a grave error to allow demons to promote the preaching of the gospel. And secondly, we'll see how what this girl said contained truth, but it was really not truth. It contained truth, but it was not truth. So first, we will just assume for a moment that this girl is making truthful statements. This utterance by this demon-possessed girl was true and good statements. We'll say that for a moment and then we'll refute that later. To let this go on, to accept the testimony of this girl would have been a serious Problem, a serious error. 
it would ultimately have undermined the message of the gospel. Letting this demon speak through this girl, promoting or in favor of the gospel preachers would give the impression to those who heard that the source of power in this girl and the source of the power of the gospel preacher must be the same. It could give the impression that they have the same source for their knowledge. And this would ultimately undermine scripture and undermine the gospel. This reminded me of a report that I got from the Southern Baptist Missionary Board. It's not like I got a report. The whole world got the report. It was about the use of something called the camel method in evangelism. Very simply, it was a method to win Muslims to Jesus Christ by using the Quran. I'm so glad to have heard some moans. That means we're thinking. The Quran, the holy book of Islam, was used in this method to preach and to lead people to faith in Jesus, to salvation in Jesus. And this was touted as a great way to evangelize in Muslim countries. The problem is the whole premise is this. One holy book is just as good as another holy book. You have the Bible, I have the Quran, same, same. What's the difference? Friend, here's the difference. The Bible is the God-breathed words that he has spoken. And the Quran is a collection of insane ramblings with no God, no power, no grace, and no salvation. Insane ramblings is my subjective opinion. No God, no power, no grace, and no salvation, that's objective truth. In addition, why do we need the Quran to lead people to Christ when God has given us a book, his book, his words. God has a written testimony of Jesus Christ and he's not looking for another one. That's the problem that we have here in Acts 16. This demonic testimony may have led some to believe that the source of power for the gospel preacher and for this divinist comes from the same source. But in addition, God already had gospel preachers. God already had gospel preaching missionaries and he didn't need help. This would have been a disruption. Also, let's note that Satan through this demon did tell some truth. Is that possible? Doesn't the Bible say that Satan is the father of lies? How is it that we can say Satan told through this demon some truth? Can that even happen? Can Satan tell a truth? Satan not only can tell a truth, he knows that the most dangerous lie, the most damning falsehood is mostly true. The most dangerous lie is mostly true. It's almost right. It's almost what the word says. And Satan knows this. There's no power in a flat out, bald face, prima facie lie. There's no power there. Why? We all know it's a lie. We see it coming a mile away. Nobody believes that. There's no power in a bald-faced lie.
But a lie that is mostly true is dangerous. How, this is a little dark, how would you get someone to take poison? Well, you mix that poison with mostly 98% good food or good drink. And they see the good and take the poison without knowing. Some of you are fishermen. How do you fish? It's not all hook, is it? Most of what you put out there before your target, most of it is good. Most of it is exactly what they want with just a little hook. And that's how you get someone to believe a lie. You make it mostly truth with a little poisonous lie. And that's what happens here. They tell a great deal of truth. Keeping that lie covered up. Covered up by truth. Then the lie is dangerous. Then people will go after it. Someone said, Satan will tell 10 truths to get to tell you one lie. He'll tell you 10 truths so that you believe, so that you trust, so that you accept. To get to tell you one lie. Paul couldn't let the testimony of this demonic spirit continue. But I also would like to see how this was almost true and not true. Verse 17 again, the girl cried out and this is what she said. These men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. The first thing I want to point out here, I don't have a lot to say about it and I've seen no one else comment on it. I just find it interesting. This girl is a slave, a slave girl. And she refers to Paul and Silas as bond slaves. <laughs> if you think you're free, you're not free. Everybody's a slave. You're a slave to sin and Satan or you're a slave to Christ. Being a slave to Christ doesn't feel like being a slave, does it? It feels like being son. She refers to them as bond slaves. I just found that interesting. But, but here's what she says. They are bond slaves of the most high God. Now here we are this morning, Waco, Texas, and we hear the most high God. And we know that the most high God is Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of holy scriptures. That's what we know. But let me remind you that she is proclaiming this, what we would call a truth. She is proclaiming in a pagan polytheistic culture. Those who heard her, these men are servants of the most high God. They may have thought she means the most high Apollos. Or she means the most high fill in the blank with whatever God you think is the most high. So this is not super specific. They are servants of the most high God. There's a subjective nature to this statement. It's not particular enough. And in addition, and even more importantly, look at verse 17 in your Bibles, where it says, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, what I hope that you will see in your Bible, especially near the word the way of salvation, the, I hope you'll see a, a note, a little tiny letter or a little tiny number that will refer you to the margin that will send you somewhere. Some of your Bibles may not have that kind of uh, notes and references, but some of you do have that. And, and if you look into the margin under that, you will see that it will say something like a way instead of the way. And the reason being is that the definite article the is not here. The definite article the. She was proclaiming quite literally, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Isn't it funny how tiny little words can make a big difference? And this makes a big difference 
They are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now do you see? Believe what she's saying and then she will follow up with some other stuff later from the demon. She's not going to because she's going to be redeemed. When we really see what is being said here, when we really understand it, it would have been a grave error to allow the demonic spirit to promote the preaching of the gospel. And, and we understand that what she said contained some truth, but it was not truth. Can I just pause here and say, all truth is God's truth. There is no truth that is not God's truth. And Satan doesn't have his own truth, but he does take God's truth and pervert it and twist it and mangle it and use it for a lie. The saying came to my mind as I was preparing this. You probably know the saying. Close only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes. Don't we say, we say that, right? I mean, when, when someone's close, oh, it was close. Well, close only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes. Well, listen, friends. Close counts when the enemy is using close to deceive. When the enemy is using almost true to lie and to pull us off course. May God help us to know the truth. And the truth will make us free. Verse 18 it says she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. I have no idea why Paul, I know some of you are already thinking, I'm going to ask him, why did Paul let her do that for many days? I have no clue. No idea. It's not here. I, I don't have any idea. Some have guessed, but it's just conjecture. But we do know this, that the timing of this event was exactly in the perfect providential timing of God. We know that. The girl is here speaking this mantra. Her masters are there to witness as the demon is cast out of her. And the crowd is there to exact vigilante justice. There's some, there's some things in this chapter 16 that make us, just could make our blood boil. We'll get into some of those things. We'll begin this week, we'll get into it next week. Just makes our blood boil. How could this be? We see God saving souls and orchestrating all these things together. I, I got to tell you, God's going to save a jailer. How are we going to get some people in jail? How do you meet a jailer? How do you meet a jailer? God says, I got this covered. They're going to jail. This is God's timing. So we don't know why Paul chose to wait, but we do know that this is in the perfect providence of God. Verse 18 said, Paul turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. Notice the power of Christ through the apostle here. There's no ceremony. He didn't have to go put on special garb, no incense to light, no, no, nothing to conjure up power. The power of Christ was ready and more than able. And the demon came out of her that very moment. Paul was an apostle. An apostle is an office of the church that we no longer have. That's no longer in use today. There was no apostolic succession where apostles appointed new apostles. When the apostles died, then the apostles are gone. If you meet an apostle, just practically, if you meet someone who says they're an apostle, check their birth certificate, they should be about 2,000 years old. And if they're not, they're not an apostle. The apostles are no longer with us, but Paul, as an apostle, 
And the other apostles too. But here Paul, as an apostle, had power and authority that we do not have today. Listen, this is very important. I believe strongly that there is no biblical warrant, no instruction from scripture for us to cast out demons. Find it in the Bible. It's not there. You find description of what Paul did. You find nowhere in any epistle, in any doctrine of how we should live, an instruction for us to cast out demons. Now, we are instructed to put on the full armor of God that we may stand against the wiles of the devil. We are instructed to resist the devil and he will flee from you. We are instructed to flee temptation, but we are nowhere in the Bible instructed to cast out, to bind, or in any way engage demons. It's not there. So don't have that in your mindset. But we're not left, Christians, we are not left hopeless against the power of Satan and demons. We have the full armor of God. Put on the full armor that you may be able to stand against the attacks, against the wily schemes, against the arrows of Satan. And we should know the armor and we should know how to put it on. And we should remember when we study Ephesians that the armor of God is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. That he is our defender. That he is our champion who wars for us. That he is our protector. And Romans tells us that the God of peace very soon will crush Satan under your feet. The gospel still has power over the demonic, but we don't cast out demons as Paul did here. Before we leave this text, we've got to get Paul and Silas in jail. We have in verse 18 and 19 an interesting play on words that I'd like to point out to you. The word translated come out, come out, is used three times here. And if you'll look, you'll see in verse 18, Paul commands the demon, come out. That's one. And then the demon comes out. That's two. And then in verse 19, the slave master's hope of profit came out. Now you might not see that as clearly when you read that in English, but it's the same word used all three places. Paul commands the demon, come out. The demon came out and their hope of financial gain Came out. It went out. There's some interesting things that happen here. Let's remember first that we are in the we passages. This means that Paul and Silas are there, but Luke is also there with them, as well as Timothy. But as we move forward, there's a turn, there's a change, and Luke returns to the they, them pronouns. Now, i got to tell y'all, in 2021, I almost get a twitch when I have to mention the right <laughs> pronouns that we're using. But it's important because pronouns mean something, right? And they should mean something. And when we see them using we, that means Luke was with them. But now we go back to they and them. Somehow, Luke and Timothy did not get arrested and thrown into jail and beaten. That Luke and Timothy escaped that somehow. We don't know how. But Paul and Silas are the ones who are arrested, who are beaten, and who are imprisoned. And these events spoken of by Paul in the text of Scripture are referred to again by him later when he speaks of the difficulties that he faced in Philippi, when he speaks of the fact that he was beaten three times. This is what he's speaking of. I find it interesting in our current political culture what happens here and to see that this sounds like it could have been written just now. In verse 19, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into court, down to police headquarters. 
They dragged him into the marketplace. They dragged him into the marketplace. Now this will prove to be a problem for them. This will prove, and we'll see that next week, that this is vigilante justice. There are no formal charges. There's no evidence. There are no arguments. And there's no opportunity to give a defense. This is accuser, judge, jury, executioner, all right here together in the marketplace. We have noticed a tendency for this very thing in our day. A person can be accused of a heinous crime, something as horrible as rape. We don't call the police. There's not an investigation. There's not a trial. There's no arrest. Sometimes there are, but, but many times what we see today is the accusation is made in the public square, in the marketplace. Shame on us if we participate in this sort of unjust thing. Just to be clear, if someone is guilty or thought guilty of a crime, they should be taken to the court. They should be taken to where the law points us. I'm not trying to say we excuse things. I'm just saying let's do the things properly and not in the public square. That's what happened here. It's not new to us today. It's what happened here in Acts 16 to Paul and Silas. And as you might guess, the real problem got twisted, got changed, it, so that we might so that we might extract maximum anger, maximum rage from the crowd. Notice we don't read here that the slave masters come and say, these men have cost us a lot of money. That's not what's accused. Instead, they bring race and religion into the mix. Look at verse 20. These men are throwing our city into confusion. How? Being Jews. And they are proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. These Jews are upsetting we Romans. They made it a race issue. Jews versus Romans. Does anybody see this? The men being accused are Romans. And nobody asked. Nobody said, let's get to the truth. The men being accused are Romans. And this is going to turn out, we'll see next week, this is going to turn out to be a problem. Verse 22 tells us that Paul and Silas are attacked, they are stripped, and they are beaten with rods. Now, if you're familiar with the practice of some countries known as caning, this is very similar to that, being beaten with rattan rods. But there was no mercy clause in Philippi like the Jews had. The Jews had a, a means of corporal punishment where someone would be beaten with a whip, with a multi-lashed whip, but there was a mercy clause. Forty lashes was the limit. And because 40 lashes was the limit, they said, well, we don't want to go past the limit, so let's take one more off. So 39 lashes was the maximum. But there was no such mercy in Philippi. We're simply told that they were beaten with many Blows. I, I'm reminded like in 1996 when a 21-year-old young American citizen was living in Singapore and got in trouble. I think he vandalized cars. And he was convicted in Singapore and sentenced to caning. And there was there was quite an outrage of the 
unjust treatment, that this caning would be. He was originally sentenced to six lashes, and that was reduced to four. And the reports were that that caused bleeding, scarring, excruciating pain. And here we find Paul and Silas beaten with many blows. So as we find these men in prison, let us not think that they sauntered in. These men likely had to be carried in with their backs and legs bloodied, quivering, undressed, uncleaned wounds. So that gospel power could be displayed. We'll see next week the, the end of this. But what we have already seen is that the gospel was preached to Lydia. The gospel was powerful to overcome her closed heart. The Lord opened her heart by freeing her from bondage to sin and transferring her to the domain of Jesus Christ. And the gospel that was preached was powerful to overcome the demonic possession and slavery of this young woman in today's text. By the power of Jesus, she was freed from Satan's clutches and she was freed from the exploitive grips of her masters. Gospel power has been displayed to us in the text. You who are here today, you who are still in the grip of sin, still under the tyranny of living for yourself. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, born under the law that he might redeem those who are under the law. By his perfect life, and by his vicarious death, he offers salvation to all who will believe on him, repenting of your sin. Come to him today for salvation. God, we ask that you would work here today. Just like you worked on that day to redeem that demon-possessed girl. We pray that you would rescue sinners. Give the grace of faith as the alone instrument of salvation. God, we pray that you would work to draw them to Christ. God, we pray for your church. We pray that you would edify us, build us up, sanctify us to be like Christ. In his name we ask this.